Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, I'm joined by the CEO of Massar Solutions, Richard Sickle. Richard used to be uh, in Silicon Valley with Tesla and worked on various prominent roles across the globe. Uh, he's now with Master Solutions, a semi-government organization uh, operating in the UAE since 1998. And today we'll be talking about the future of mobility and the transportation sector in the UAE and the, and the region. Also, the impact of COVID-19 on the business of rental and mobility solutions in the UAE. Finally, we'll discuss what role Master can play in developing transportation and mobility within the region. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Richard. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Uh, you're still working from home? Yes, I'm working from home, clearly. <laughs> Kitchen behind yeah. me, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So how, how has everything been for the last few months? Well, so um, since uh, very early on, so mid-March, uh, most of our staff uh, that can work from home has been working from home. At the same time, um, a lot of our, the business that we, the services that we provide actually uh, labeled essential services. So many of our Massar team have been working all along. So we have around 1,500 drivers of buses, um, but also um, people that deliver groceries uh, at people's homes. Uh, so they have been working, um, but basically all our office staff has been working from home. Has, you know, a lot of what people talked about during COVID was uh, the supply chain disruption around the world. Uh, how has that impacted? Is, is, have you been able to operate uh, normally? Yeah, I have to say we have. So we, um, so uh, two things uh, in supply, terms of supply chain would be important for us. So one is of course where we, um, uh, for customers like Carrefour and Co-op, we deliver groceries to people's homes. Uh, we have seen, of course, that many people started ordering huge amounts of food uh, very early pandemic and then that flattened out. There was always enough of everything. So I think that part of supply chain has worked very well. Uh, the other part of supply chain is in, of interest to us is um, parts for vehicles. So um, we, we of course own and operate these vehicles that deliver these services, the transportation services. And uh, we need to be able to of course maintain those and we've been able to get those as a part as well through our great partners in the UAE. Interesting. So I touched on the intro, the heritage and how long Master Solutions has been operating in the UAE. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the type of business it was at the outset? Um, and also with a nod to the kind of uh, terminology we use on the transport sector now uh, for logistics and supply chain and mobility. Has, ha how has that industry evolved? So there's a few questions in there. Um, so the heritage of uh, Massar is that we are actually a spin-off of uh, Adwia, so a utility provider in, uh, in Abu Dhabi. Um, in a little less than a decade ago, 51% um, of the shares were sold to Invest AD with the purpose of making uh, the services of Massar. And then the, the brand Massar was actually born because um, previously it was called Al Wapla. Um, 
and under the flag of uh, the name Massage Solutions, we uh, started to provide the same services to other companies as well in the UAE. So um, these are the services that we used to provide to Adwia. So this is fleet leasing and also um, provide in the need of short-term uh, vehicles. Uh, but we have expanded that. We have expanded that with um, commuting services. So many of these gray buses that you see uh, bringing people to their construction sites where they work or hotels. Many of those are Massad buses with Massad drivers. So we, we basically provide the full mobility package there. Uh, and then as, as I mentioned, um, if you order groceries from Carrefour or Co-op or, or others, then uh, very likely those will be delivered to your home by a, a Massad driver in a Massad van. This is even dual branded, so you would see for instance, Carrefour MSR on that on that van. Um, on top of that, of course, um, seeing technology also in um, in automotive sector developing very very fast, we also um, have have a branch that is developing new um, technical solutions and data solutions for our customer, uh, which I probably will address a little bit later in this. Uh, so just just to kind of uh, put it in perspective and context, in, in any country, do you have independent companies like this, which are uh, for transport fleet, uh, are, are, you know, for the, for the um, person who doesn't know what goes into running, say, a car for, do, are they always partnered with a company like yours or do they have their own fleet? Um, and is this is this a normal business? Uh, and uh, yeah, is there structure here? Would it be normal in in say uh, other countries? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. So the global trend is actually that um, large corporate companies that have an international footprint they want to work with one or two providers for their fleet. Uh, in the end, it's a necessity. You just want it to be arranged well. You maybe want to have a bit of a volume deal. And you typically also want to have a car policy for your staff that is as much as possible um, similar uh, across the world. So um, if you look in Europe, um, almost all corporates work with one of the five largest global uh, leasing providers. Um, actually, my background is also working with one of them. So for a couple of years, I was uh, for a long time, I worked with Athlon Carlis and last a few years of that being the president of it which is uh, one of the five largest providers in the world. And typically, uh, these companies have customers um, that, that, that seek a service in multiple countries. So five, 10, 20 countries implement policies uh, everywhere in the same way. So uh, definitely the global trend. If you look um, in parts of the world outside of Europe and the US, then it's, it's more fragmented. So in... Um, in the, in, in the Middle East actually as a whole, but also in the UAE, you do not really see the presence of these global, uh, there's just one exception in the UAE, but you don't see a big presence of um, these global suppliers of fleets um, in terms of leasing. Um, and actually this is a trend that we find interesting because we think that at least you would want to see a solution for all of the Middle East, from the Middle East, and I think Massage Solutions is 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 actually the the, the best uh, positioned player to, to to have that role with a mm -hmm. heritage in the Middle East. But um, talking about trends, that's definitely a trend. Okay, interesting. So just touching on that, would it be correct in saying that Transguard are a similar company in what they do? 
Right. Um, I think their, their range of offering is wider than that. Uh, we're more specialized in, in mobility okay. and in the fleet. So um, companies like Transcard would typically work with a partner as Mazar okay. for mobility or um, uh, some of the other services that we provide. Okay, so um, speaking of Carrefour, for example, uh, I think we'll be playing a video while we're talking of, uh, an, um, how would I say, a, a, a truck or a service or a fleet that you provided for Carrefour that uh, looks state-of-the-art, that has, um, and you'll explain in more detail, but it's probably custom-made for them. Is that, is that an offering that you do for your, for your clients as well? So this is um, a very close partnership, of course. So this is very much, this is not like just a service that we provide. This is a service that has been developed together with Carrefour. So largely based on their needs and for us to, uh, to provide the service that fits, fits those needs. Um, they have always worked with other parties as well. And I think uh, in the last few years, together we have discovered that the way Masar offers these services actually works quite well for both. And uh, we are now expanding these services. So we will offer this broader, um, not so much, of course, as tailored to Carrefour, but more, more generically. Um, and, and actually, we hope to follow the footprint of Carrefour in the Middle East and do the same in other countries as well. Interesting. Um, well, there's a lot of uh, conferences about future mobility and there's other themes and topics. But when, when we look across your offering on your website, it talks about the products, the people, the tech, the fleet, and the auto services. Is that how you see a modern business in your space uh, structured well for the kind of future mobility? Yes, because we cover a, a wide range of products that are all um, built around the needs of companies that need to take care of their mobility. Um, and of course, this is a developing market and our products are developing, but I would say we have a very good, strong core of products that we develop. So there won't be any um, incredible change in our, in our business lines. What we do now is uh, meets very much the demands of the market, but we're also looking at, of course, future needs and to make sure we're ready for those. Um, so um, basically our, our current strategy is built on um, trends that we see in the automotive market, and especially, of course, the corporate automotive markets. Um, so uh, just to name a few, one is uh, individualization. So where we have uh, people that have a company car, typically you would just get a new company car every three or four years and you would go on and on and on and have a cycle of these three, four years every time a new car. Uh, when you work 15 years with a company, you may have three, four times a new car. That's how the labor markets used to work uh, for a long time and, and basically fleet as a result of that. Um, the trend of individualization is that we see that um, obviously um, people have shorter cycles in companies. At the same time, you have less job security. So sometimes you can move to another company while it wasn't your own initiative. Uh, but also we see a lot of people that offer their services to multiple companies at the same time. And actually before joining Mazar, I've done that myself uh, for, for, for six, seven years as well. Uh, more as a consultant working for separate companies, but several at the same time. Uh, that also translates to mobility needs. So you would need a vehicle, but you would just get your own vehicle and, um, and um, use it for whatever uh, work you're doing that day. 
Um, also, it gives a little bit more freedom. So individualization is also to be able to choose the car you like for as long as you want it and where you want it, rather than uh, picking your company car from the, from the short list that your uh, company has provided. In basics, there's nothing wrong with that, but within the trend of individualization, we see that people, company car users, want to have a little bit more uh, their own uh, say in it. Uh, so, so, this so, is just to, so just to explain that a bit more, so a large company or any company who's providing company cars for their staff will work with you on a leasing basis um, and you provide a range of products or services that fits their needs. Yeah, so that's the typical company car. So maybe let's say a company with 1,500 employees, uh, 300 of those have the right on a company car and those cars would be supplied by Massar directly, basically. So we, we invoice the company, but the, the, the employees would use those cars. Mm. Uh, so the companies, in that case, don't have their own fleet. They lease it, um, and uh, it works like that. And the individual uh, trend you, you're describing is that people, uh, you, you need to be more flexible on, on the choice of car and the duration. Exactly. And even the fact, so to be able to use your, uh, your car for several um, uh, people you work for. So mm. for individual, and this is a big trend in Europe and in the US, and I also see it uh, coming, uh, coming up more in the UAE, that people are just more individual and more independent, offering their talents and services, um, either to several uh, employees at the same time or shorter cycles. So we see some disruption in other industries and, and re previously on the podcast, we had the CEO of eCar and he discussed how they're offering their rental cars to large companies uh, in that process. Is, is that re a response to this trend? Is that what companies are doing now? Definitely, definitely. So, um, so car sharing basically, but also uh, services like Uber and Lyft are very much filling that need for, um, I think, two things. So more flexibility, but also to find ways around car ownership or let's mm. say the use of a, of a lease car. So these services typically are for people that actually do not have a company car or do not wish a company car and have probably smaller transport needs and just take the flexibility that an e-car can offer. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> so what, what are the other trends, if that's the individual one? And I guess it's, for people in context, it, you know, um, some of the, the brands that you mentioned, the, the VC funded companies that listed recently um, have these high valuations. And at the moment, the consumer experiences them on their phone and uh, in terms of how they would have previously used a taxi, but actually their valuations are high because their promise or their, um, you know, their potential is in other spaces of the transport industry, such as this. Yeah, and I think also these valuations are based on the potential, the not yet filled potential, that if these, um, these offerings of car sharing become the new way of mobility for the world, and basically even replacing let's say, more traditional models, uh, if that would happen, of course, then the, the f first, first parties in the market will, would have a very big, uh, st strong edge for, over others um, mm. and would actually probably fill the, the big shoes though, that those high valuations uh, currently offer.
Interesting. Um, so what, I, before I ask about the other trends, just something that I was thinking of, how do you go about choosing your partners, your suppliers, which automotive uh, companies do you work with and what are the key factors in those decisions? So, um, uh, so basically, leasing companies like Massage Solutions will offer the vehicles to their customers that these vehicle uh, that these customers want. Of course, mm. we advise, I wouldn't take that for this type of job. I would uh, we advise there, but um, it is it is a joint decision on which uh, fleets are uh, are used, and then as a result of that, you choose your supplier. So, um, in um, in the UAE. Actually, the number of brands that is used is actually relatively limited. So you will see a lot of Nissan, a lot of Toyota, where I think if I look back to my past in Europe, where uh, in, in, in Athlon, there were probably like 20 to 25 brands that were all, well, all prevalent to a certain extent, of course, but were all used. So the mm. number of suppliers there was relatively large. Um, you would also work with a lot of different dealerships where of course in the UAE, the suppliership is, is organized a bit differently. So we have a few strong partners uh, that, that sell us these vehicles uh, and also do part of maintenance because we do part of maintenance ourselves. We also have workshops where we can do maintenance on vehicles uh, and part of it, we also outsource to these same uh, partners. Interesting. So rather than you know staying on uh, leasing and the uh, car part of the business too much, but you mentioned auto services as well as, as something that Master provides. Is that uh, is that in the context of uh, someone needs their car serviced, uh, and a customer would go to a, a Master uh, um, a, a Master car service uh, space, or is it something that uh, yeah? How does that work? Well, actually, the way it works is how the customer wants it. So we have, we have our own workshops. So we have workshops in Abu Dhabi, um, Dubai, uh, DIP, um, El Ain. Um, but typically, actually, our customers, um, we, we, we are the ones that know when the car needs service, actually. Mm. So we typically reach out to a customer saying, well, your car needs uh, now uh, a service. It reaches service interval. When, when is suitable time for you for us to pick up the car? Uh, and bring it back to you. So basically, often, most often, we pick up these vehicles, uh, get them serviced, and deliver them back. So it's a full service solution. Yeah. At the same time, of course, we have people, uh, customers, and especially for small things like oil changes, that just come by one of our workshops and and have that service uh, performed. Okay, interesting. So you're you're providing the full service. At what point in the trajectory of the company do you? Do you identify areas to expand in and offer new services? And what is, is it because you're good at something that you say, okay, we're good at this. Let's, you know, offer this as well. And, and do you respond to the demand of the customers? Yeah, actually it's both. So of course we know our strengths and uh, we, we look very uh, intensely at developments in the market and uh, the whole uh, automotive services industry, especially the leasing part, um, I think, all over the world has been innovation has been very much based on customer needs so typically at, at the side of a customer we also see very professional specialists in the use of, of company cars that also know what they want and uh, and often let's say on the basis of their needs we jointly develop new products 
Um, so I think a good example is our uh, um, technology division where we have uh, very high end track and tracing um, um, capabilities. And this is very much based, well, actually on the, on the, on the legal uh, requirement in the UAE for uh, this type of vehicles, but also because um, a lot of customers have demands and requirements for very, very high end reporting. Um, and an interesting development there is actually that we always used to show this is the past of your fleet. Maybe we can learn from it in terms of reducing uh, fuel consumption, in terms of reducing damages. But we now take far more a big data approach. So we collect these data. And of course, we look at the past, but we collect and analyze these data of all these vehicles um, with the purpose of predicting the future. And by predicting the future, we can actually reduce cost. Uh, again, in fuel and damages by planning far more efficiently than we have been able to do in the past. How have you gone about that? Have you uh, set up a different team or a department? Is that something that you've invested in or is it something that you've uh, worked with experts and partners? No, we, we have, we've found this such a strategic development that years ago we decided mm. to invest it ourselves. So we have, we have technology partners, but we're not depending on one. We have several technology partners and basically for any specific project, we will find technology that fits best. And if we can find that with our preferred suppliers, that's great. Otherwise we will look uh, elsewhere. And we have our own uh, programmers that actually build the interface. So we build the interface uh, with the customer environment ourselves. So a lot of, a lot of these development is actually Massage Solutions IP. Interesting. Uh, that seems like a, yeah, it, interesting to strategically um, bet on a certain area and invest in it. There are other macro trends and one uh, in transport and one that's related to big data, such as blockchain, some other macro trends, are, and that's around the logistics and supply part. And, and then uh, there's other macro trends like um, electric vehicles uh, and then also driverless cars. And, you know, we see big things in your former company, Tesla, have this truck and, and things like that, that gets a lot of traction on social media. How do, you, how do you view, as a CEO of an established transport company, how do you view macro trends uh, and uh, in general, what are your views on it and how, do you, how does it impact your business today? Yeah, of course. So for us, because we have long-term contracts, our contracts typically are three, four years especially for utility vehicles, but most for company cars, that is often still three to four years. Um, so for us, it's very important to be able to look a little bit further in the future because we buy vehicles, but we also depreciate to an expected future value. And we have to be able to get that future value correct because otherwise we'd make a massive loss. Or if we uh, estimate too careful, our monthly leases would be too expensive and it would be too much depreciation in it. So. We have to be spot on in predicting future residual values of vehicles. And then if you look at new technologies, you have to really have an opinion, uh, a knowledge based opinion on those technologies. Because, um, and I think uh, I'll, I'll go back to the examples that I've seen in Europe. At some point, if you could see the trend coming that diesels would become less favorable, mm. then reduce your share of diesel vehicles in your fleet. So this is not so much uh, specific for the UAE, but companies that very, very early saw uh, that to walk away from diesel vehicles uh, prevented to have massive losses on the sale of those vehicles. Um, mm -hmm. If we look 
way more relevant, I think, is the development of the electric vehicles and uh, to a certain extent autonomous driving. So um, I think the adoption of electric vehicles will be slightly slower in the, in the Middle East and in the rest of the world because, of course, the, um, the business case from a fuel perspective doesn't always work the same way as in other countries because you would have expensive fuel and relatively low cost of electricity, where here the, the metrics work slightly different. But at the same time, we see a lot of demand uh, from customers for Tesla vehicles um, because they are interested in the technology. And they also want to understand how this technology may impact their business for the future, or they just love technology and want, want to um, understand uh, these vehicles uh, from that perspective. And for us, it's very, very important to um, understand the cost structure behind electric vehicles because uh, you could think it's just a vehicle so depreciation will be quite similar to uh, a similar cost um, uh, combustion uh, engine type of car um, and the maintenance might be the same as well but it actually is completely different and i know this from my history mm. working in europe when electric cars were already uh, coming up but of course especially also in my few years uh, at tesla um, depreciation works very, very different because these cars have actually very, very high residual values and relative low maintenance costs because of the almost the lack of moving parts. Uh, right. A Tesla has 14 moving parts where a combustion engine vehicle may have a few hundred moving parts. Wow. So wear of those parts will be a lot less and uh, then the, yeah, there's only so many things basically to replace uh, at service interval. So it's very, very different from a cost perspective. And, and only if you understand these costs very, very well, you can support your customers making the right decisions. So do you think that the shift to electric vehicles is more an economical decision process from a company perspective and also from a user? You, you mentioned in Europe that the fuel prices might be more expensive, therefore it might make more long-term sales to run an electric vehicle. While that's not the case here, um, we're led to believe maybe that uh, the shift is uh, from an environmental or sustainability uh, decision, but is it more to do with economics? It's both. It's both. Okay. So, if you look at the whole cycle so far of, of um, let's say, implementation of electric vehicles in fleets, but also private individuals, of course, the early adopters were people that really wanted to show their commitment to sustainability and purchase a rather expensive vehicle. To, to just show that they wouldn't um, pollute as much anymore as they did in the past. So mm -hmm. in California, there was a big uptake of these kind of vehicles. I think it's also not a coincidence that Tesla is basically born in California, uh, where mm -hmm. it has um, a very big customer base, especially in the beginning. Um, Although they threatened recently to move to Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they do <laughs> those uh, threats. <laughs> of course, yeah. you have to fight for uh, for a best uh, best best. Um, solutions with your government as well. So I can, can totally see that happening. But um, so where it is basically the real pure innovation with a lot of early adopters and the second big wave, to be honest, uh, especially in, um, in Europe, because interestingly enough, what you probably wouldn't expect, the largest markets for Tesla outside the US for a long time have been Norway mm. and Netherlands. And the main reasons for those is actually tax breaks. So people okay. that have an electric vehicle as a company car would pay a, a lower amount 
benefiting kind. So yeah, you have taxes in Europe and also taxes on company vehicles. And that can be as high as 25% of your, uh, the value of your car, which you'll be taxed on your income tax. But um, there have been tax breaks for electric vehicles in many uh, countries in Europe and Hong Kong, for instance, as well. So uh, that's actually a good example. In Hong Kong, you have very high tax on vehicles, about 100%, and then that was dropped for electric vehicles. And then suddenly ah. there were 8,000 uh, Model S vehicles, Tesla Model S vehicles in Hong Kong, which is an incredible market share in such a very, very small market. So, um, and then companies, of course, also look at the, the benefits of electricity cost uh, uh, compared to fuel consumption and the lower cost of maintenance, which is actually very visible if you look at the monthly lease of a vehicle. Because uh, for individual companies, it's very hard to understand the, the value, depreciation on vehicles, maintenance costs, even insurance costs on electric vehicles. But we have our collective insight in this technology is embedded in our monthly leases. So our monthly leases include the cost of maintenance, include depreciation. So cars like a model s or a model x or um, vehicles from other suppliers other brands will never be the cheapest cars also not to lease but you see part of the um, the investment that you make coming back in lower operating cost so very transparent actually in a monthly lease so basically this is how we help companies and, and individual people to understand the cost of use of these vehicles from a, a adoption point of view what are the types of uh things that have been initiated, initiated here in the UAE from a regulation perspective uh, that, that you think have been good so far? Well, I think um, very early on, the UAE has shown a big interest in this technology and has not been defensive at all in terms of, well, we are more in oil, so we don't like electric vehicles. Actually, I was working with Tesla when we sold the first let's say batch of 200 uh, Model X vehicles to RTA uh, mm. that, would be, uh, that were used for uh, airport transportation. Uh, basically from the, that perspective also to very early on understand the technology, but also to build a showcase of a country that, that uh, wants to prove that it's interested in all sorts of technology and not uh, just in, uh, in forever continue to bet on oil. Um, so this, this sparked a trend that with the visibility of these vehicles and therefore actually also the establishment of Tesla in Dubai that mm. um, would be more available for others. So that definitely helped. Um, and I think now, so the, the, the government has made a much bigger step uh, with a commitment to have a large part of their um, government fleet to be electric vehicles. So um, uh, government entities in the UAE are pushed to have a certain part of their fleet uh, to be electric vehicles and um, we're ready to supply that we're already doing that but of course we have to be there as well to support this uh, great initiative and you know do you think that do you envisage uh, extra benefits for companies like you to adopt electric vehicles in terms of incentives or, or easier regulation um, well actually not so much so this is more something that is um, the business case for ourselves is just basically the in itself, the opportunities in the market itself. We, we don't actually even require specific support to be able to do this. We, we made these investments in understanding the technology um, and learning on the way um, ourselves. And, and actually, I think the benefit of that is that it has given us a competitive edge over 
competitors that more reluctantly have looked at electric vehicles and been thinking, well, this is probably something that might never catch on or may not catch on in this part of the world. Uh, and we'll get there, we'll see when we get there. Um, and, and the fact that we actually had to make these investments ourselves and there were no facilities more gen generic for companies to use and develop these skills, that we, right. I, I, I dare say that we are the only ones in, in the Middle East that actually truthfully understand this technology uh, and operate at, these, um, at, at the best we can. Judging by the way our conversation went, it seems that electric vehicle trend is more imminent than the um, autonomous driving. Uh, that you know, when we when we hear the words autonomous driving, I don't know about you, but I think generally people get a little worried <laughs> because they might think, uh, uh oh, there's going to be an accident. I've lost control. I'm playing my computer while I'm behind the wheel, or, or something like that. Is is that? Do you, what do you think of autonomous driving? Is it something that we'll see, and how far away is it? Um, it's very near. It's, I think oh. it's very. Um, if you go to the Tesla website, you can see clips of cars driving themselves to the Palo Alto head mm. office, probably behind the wheel but not touching the wheel. Mm. Cars um, uh, making room for cyclists, stopping for traffic lights, taking left-right turns and park itself uh, when it arrives at, at the office. Um, so that, that basically shows what is possible today. I think the, um, the things that are in the way of that, of, of full implementation currently is that, of course, there is also the risk of trips that do not go as flawless as what you would find uh, on, on a brand's website. Uh, so of course, there is still a risk of, uh, of error and um, error could lead to death. So that is um, accidents that, that could include death. So, I think the industry has to be really, really careful, but not just the industry, because it's not even so much in the hands of the industry. The industry can only develop um, to, uh, to perfectionism, this technology, uh, to allow countries to open up legislation for the use of driverless vehicles, because um, to operate a vehicle, you need to be in it and you need to have a driver's license. You even have to have your hands on the wheel. So cars that currently allow autonomous driving, after 10 seconds or so, you will get a message. So you have to take back control of the wheel because otherwise we'll just stop this. Um, so it's, it's basically fully controlled. And it's just with the development of the technology. And I think 5G networks is a big step because obviously if your route is planned using uh, maps that are uh, on, based on online information, and suddenly your, uh, your uh, internet would be cut and you would be just taking a left turn, that, that in itself is already a risk. So the connection with vehicles, the, um, the, the mapping of the world, just to make sure every, every road, every intersection, everything is on there. And then one step further for vehicles to actually recognize when situations have changed and anticipate on that. So there is a lot to be developed, but at the same time, technology is already very, very advanced. Of course, some of the options I just mentioned, so lane keeping and following the car that's in front of you, staying in a certain speed, uh, taking turns, are things that are car, cars that, that you can buy today, are capable mm. of. Uh, but obviously the technology uh, that exists, is, and, but yet not implemented, is already more advanced. So there are different players that do experiments, and then every now and then, of course, unfortunately, you hear about accidents. And, but this is the only way to get there, to get to ultimately that um, 
um, a self-driving car is more safe than a human the operating yeah. car. I, th I think there, there's analogies, uh, comparisons compared with when you know the uh, when we, the the automobile was on, the motor engine was coming on maybe hundred years ago or so. And people said it broke down a lot and there was more accidents than the horse and cart and eventually it was adopted. But sticking with that theme and te technology, you know, we're in the automotive uh, and transport industry, we're used to, uh, we're used to similar brands. We're used to uh, what they do and, and the business models around them. And you mentioned technology. Uh, much of what you're talking about is being developed by Google's uh, Waymo is it and then other companies like that so they don't actually own a fleet they just own the technology and then big companies are have to make the choice of whether to use that service that technology or software or create their own and in the again another kind of analogy with the mobile the smartphone space people uh, used either iOS or Android um, last weekend or over last week we saw that Volkswagen came out publicly and said that they're going to create their own software. So they're going to, they, they think that they can build something as good as um, uh, Google basically and Apple. Uh, what's your view on that in, in terms of your business? Do you think you'll be adopting software produced by others uh, or by your partners? So we will use the best software we can have and we will always tailor that a little bit to make it exactly fit the needs of our customers. So um, rather than developing, uh, we don't have the developing power that Google has. Mm. Uh, we don't, we, we're not even trying, um, but we will use, if they have the best solution, we will use that solution um, and, and, and potentially adopt it, adapt it slightly to, uh, to make it massage specific. So, um, you can, we believe you can, especially a company of our size, you can only be good in so many things. So we have a lot of knowledge about uh, fleets, uh, cars, operating fleet, the technology, just, just uh, in the periphery of that. And then very quickly, uh, it comes to a level of technology uh, where the cost of development of that technology are so high that we would never be able to fund that, uh, where we use others. So we, we actually, uh, we're very ambitious, but we also understand our own boundaries. Um, talking about that ambition and something you alluded to earlier, how do you expand Massar Solutions across the region? Uh, how, do you work with partners? Do you set up uh, entities in different countries? And how do you think the Middle East or MENA region can be like Europe or like the US in, in your industry? Yeah, so um, internationalization of, um, is, is a big trend. And I, I think I, I addressed it briefly in the, in the opening where you see that international corporate companies want to have the same solution in, uh, in, in all the countries where they operate. Um, the market can offer those solutions, but actually with the exception of the Middle East, also actually in Africa and, and many Southeast Asian countries also hard to find. But in the Middle East, there is, no, there is not one provider that actually operates in more than one country. Uh, whereas at the same time, we see the need of international companies. They would love to see a Massar or somebody else offering a fleet solution for seven, eight, nine countries in the Middle East. And so we even have customers that ask us um, saying, well, we were quite happy with the services you provide today, but uh, we're also in Saudi Arabia, we're in Kuwait, we're opening in um, Bahrain. How can you support us there? So basically um, our short-term strategy, 
weren't it for the pandemic, we would have already been active in Saudi Arabia, um, opening our first office there in Riyadh. Um, so we will um, replicate the model that we have in the UAE, so Massage Solutions, to become Massage Solutions Middle East with um, uh, replications basically of our current model in uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, Bahrain, um, Oman, uh, potentially uh, Jordan and Egypt, very large market as well. Um, because we see that there, there's just this gap in the market. There is nobody offering that. And we uh -huh. think that we could offer those services to our existing international customers, but also basically every international corporate company that is has a footprint in those countries will want to work with us because there's nobody else. Fascinating. That's interesting. And I think it's, uh, you know, similar trends that people are, are looking across this region and providing the best in class services to different countries. Um, so wish you luck with that. Before we finish, uh, I'd like to just talk about an, another trend about smart cities and, and the future. We see uh, things like um, Hyperloop, uh, being built uh, and coming on online soon. What, uh, you know, people in the tech space sometimes say that their ideal city, if it was built from the startup, uh, would look different. And they always think of mobility at, as the base. Uh, how, how do you view that? Do you think that uh, some, everything needs to be completely changed? Or do you think that in, in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and in the UAE, we're very close to how uh, a future ideal uh, city in terms of mobility would be? Well, I think, uh, although uh, our business model is based on mobility, I think in an ideal world, you would need less mobility because um, commuting uh, is, is cost, can uh, be um, a, a not sustainable, a non-sustainable energy option uh, many times, but also could even be a waste of time. So if you if you have to drive to work every day for an hour or, um, or uh, to, take, to, to get your groceries or anything that includes mo mo the need for mobility, actually you're wasting resources and one of them being your own time. So when this can be organized better, that's of course the ideal world. And um, uh, I don't think that is tomorrow's world, but it, it will be in the future. Now, I actually, I hope that is our future. Um, where obviously that would have impact on the business model of companies like Massar but uh, we would just have to adapt. And this is also something that would not happen overnight. Uh, probably there's a big planning phase that goes ahead. So it will also allow us time to plan uh, how we fit in. But um, this, that's an ideal world where you have less, less mobility needed. Fascinating. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time this morning, Richard, and hopefully keep in touch in, in the future and great to hear about your business. Thank you, you're welcome. Thank you, Richard. Thanks very much. Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy.